0: Well, if you missed last week, I, I kicked off our Advent sermon series a little bit early and uh, set the stage to talk this year about the angels of Christmas. And uh, I talked last week about angels. What were they? And uh, what did they look like? And uh, um, if you're interested in a little more detail on that, I, I wrote a little booklet. There's two little booklets back on a back table there. One called Heavenly Messengers that talks about Angels and a lot of research I did on angels and prep for this the other one is called understanding the Christmas story and it's it's basically clips from sermons from uh, Previous years where I talk about different aspects of the Christmas story. So uh, if you're interested in that you can go back there also last week uh, I talked about the that angels aren't really described in the Bible except in really weird angels and so uh, angels with lots of eyes and lots of wings. And, and there's no such thing in the Bible as a halo. Halo comes from Christian art. There's no such thing in the Bible as a halo. Um, most of what we think of when we think of angels comes from Cupids, which are from Greek mythology. Angels are not little naked babies flying around everywhere, bows and arrows. Okay. Um, but uh, so what I did was I made uh, some Christmas ornaments for everyone to take home of some of the weird descriptions of angels from Ezekiel and Daniel and Revelation. And so if you missed out on a cool Christmas ornament, they're back on that table also. And then several people said, well, we really wanted one of these. It's called a tetramorph, this angel with four different heads. So I made some special edition angel ornaments for this week that were not available last week. And they're back on the table too. Uh, it, It was kind of funny. So last week, somebody in this church a little later in the day said to me, uh, Jordan, so you've already ruined my nativity set, and now you have ruined angels, all the angels in my house for me. And uh, it was said in a joking manner, and, but I apologize. Um, that was not my goal, okay? But, but here, here's why I, I talked about some of these weird angels and tried, to, because here's what happens. When, when we are too familiar with something, uh, I was, I'm reading a book about the Magi right now, and it's talking about all the weird things that we put on the story of the Magi that are clearly not in the Bible. And what the author said, here's the quote, he said, familiarity breeds unfamiliarity. In other words, the more familiar you are with something, actually the less familiar you are with it. Because you start to assume things about it that aren't actually in there because you've heard the Christmas story a bunch of times. When's the last time you actually sat down and read it? Right. If you get too familiar with something, you, you, you actually get unfamiliar with it because you start putting stuff on it that's not there. And we do this all the time, right? If you've been married a long time, you're so familiar with your spouse that then when you surprise you, it's like weird. Like, what? I didn't know that. Right? And, and then if they change or go through something, sometimes it's hard for us to see. Okay? So for you to learn something about something that you are over-familiar with, part of my job as the preacher is to make it strange. Okay, I have to make it weird so that then you can get back into it with new eyes. Okay, So that's what I was trying to do. So You don't have to throw away your angels, everybody. It's fine. Okay, we don't know what the angels look like. I was just trying to open you up to some different ideas about angels. You don't have to get rid of your nativity sets. Okay, your nativity set is like a movie poster. It has everything there. Movie posters, characters don't meet in the movie, but they're all on the poster. It's just kind of a highlight. Your nativity set doesn't have to be biblically accurate. Mine is made of vegetables. Okay, it's called Veggie Tales. My nativity set is the Veggie Tale sets. Okay, keep your keep your nativity sets, everybody. But let's always be trying to return to Scripture with fresh eyes, not assuming that what we remember from the Charlie Brown Christmas story or from all these other things that have influenced our ideas is actually what's in the Bible. Let's keep going back to the Bible. Okay, so that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to make it a little weird. Trying to make it a little strange. Now, this is how I preach all the time. So that we can get fresh eyes on it. Okay, with that longer than normal intro, let's get into our text for the day. We're in Luke chapter 1. This is a text um, it, it, we don't normally associate with the Christmas story, but we should. Because what Luke does is Luke goes back and forth between two miraculous pregnancies. Okay, the pregnancy of... Uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth and their son John, who would be John the Baptist, and then Mary and Joseph and their son, who would be Jesus. Okay, so what Luke does is go one then the other, one then the other, sort of bounces back and forth to compare the two. Yet for some reason, when we think of the Christmas story, we include the wise men, which come later, and we don't include Zechariah and Elizabeth and John the Baptist, which actually Luke clearly mixes into these stories. So we're in Luke 1. Again, probably a little bit more unfamiliar passage, but maybe you're a little too overfamiliar with it. You may want to grab the Pew Bible or pull out your phone and pull it up to follow along. And I'm going to kind of read piece by piece uh, this story, uh, Luke 1, starting in verse 5, and then I'm going to just unpack it a little bit at a time. Now, Luke 1, 5. In the days of Herod king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statues of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. All right, so Luke sets up the context of this story uh, we just got to get a few details clear here. He gives us a time frame. This is the days of King Herod, also called Herod the Great. Herod was this kind of crazy guy that uh, was a king of, uh, of, uh, of Israel, of Judea, lived in Jerusalem. And uh, he died in about 4 BC. I mean, we, we actually know that pretty clearly. So this is somewhere a little bit ahead of, uh, of uh, what we normally think of as the Christmas story. And we're told then that we have two characters. One is a priest named Zechariah. The other is his wife named Elizabeth. Now, Zechariah, we're told, is from the order of Abijah. So who is Abijah? Abijah was one of the sons of Aaron. Aaron was the original priest. Okay, we had Moses and his brother Aaron. Aaron started the priesthood. Aaron had 24 sons. That's a lot of sons. Okay. Okay. That's more than Father Abraham. And we said he had many sons. Okay? He had 24 sons. And uh, these all were divided into sort of orders of the priesthood. And uh, so he's from the line of Abijah. So think about this. He knows his family lineage. Okay? For 12, depending on how you date this, 12 to 1400 years, the priesthood has been passed down in his family from father to son, father to son, father to son. And then, typically, you would marry someone who was also the daughter of one of the priestly families. So he's married Elizabeth. She is called from the line of Aaron because uh, the actual division of like Abijah and all these sons didn't pass to daughters. It only passed to sons. But she is from a priestly family also. That's what we know. Why is this a big deal? Because they have an impeccable lineage. Okay, and they're great people, Luke tells us. They are upstanding, great moral people. And yet, they're older, probably of the age where they cannot have children anymore, and they have never had a child. And This is a crisis for several reasons. For one thing, remember, twelve to 1,400 years, father to son, father to son, father to son, and now it stops with you. Right? There's other, there's other families of Abijah, but your family won't have another one because you've never had a son but furthermore it was your children that took care of you as you got older it was not just your legacy it was also your social security everybody okay they don't have social security in there so as you get older which with Zachariah and Elizabeth are who's going to take care of when you get older well it's not it's not the government okay it had to be your children and you don't have any children and so there's actually a, a, a health and safety risk in not having any children especially any sons and it was also considered in those days uh, um, a curse if, if you didn't have children then maybe god was punishing you for something you did or maybe something that your parents did that god has not blessed you with children of course we're told by luke that that can't be the case for zechariah and elizabeth Because their lineage is impeccable. Their reputation is great. They have followed all the statutes of the law. So it can't be that they're being punished. So then why don't they have children? This would have been the talk of the... Like, this would have been rumored about. What did they do? Why why isn't God giving them children? Verse 8. Now while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by Lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Okay, so here's how this worked. You had 24 sons of Aaron, and each of them had sort of divisions of the priesthood. You can imagine they're fairly large by this point, 1,200 years later. Okay, and what these, what these divisions would do is they would each have two weeks that they would work at the temple, like they would take their shift and uh, not consecutive weeks either. It'd be like earlier in the year and later in the year, you would sort of divide up. And what the priests would do is they'd go to the temple, they'd live at the temple all week, do their duties, and then they would go home. And then they could have other priestly duties out in the communities. But um, their, their temple service was two weeks a year, right? And then possibly some kind of special, like Yom Kippur Day of Atonement or Passover or something like that. But you had your typical two weeks. So he gets his time and then what you would do is you would cast lots okay you would kind of roll dice to see who gets what responsibilities during the week the most honoring position was the incense burner okay every every year one time a year the high priest would go into the holy of holies and do maintenance and stuff in there but every day a group of priests had to go in to keep the candles burning and the the real position of honor once a week to change the breads out but the real position of honor was this incense burner that would go, and every day had to be filled. You can imagine two days a week, or two weeks a year. So only 14 people get to do this a year uh, from your division, right? So you might never in your life get to go in there and do that. And, and we, our understanding is that if you did it, you didn't get to repeat it. It was a one-time, once-in-a-lifetime thing. So Zachariah's probably gone his whole life waiting for this moment to be the priest that would go in and burn this incense. And then once you burned the incense, it was your job to walk outside, there'd be all these people praying whenever all the priests were in there, and you would pronounce the the Aaron, the Aaronic blessing it's called, okay? We sometimes sing a song based on it. It says, the Lord bless you, keep you, make your face shine upon you, be gracious to you. Uh, Lord, look at you with favor and give you peace. And so the priest who did the incense got the honor of coming out and then addressing everybody that was praying. Everybody with me? His whole life he has waited for this. He's probably never gotten to do it because you don't get to repeat it. And maybe he thought he would never get to do it. And now it's his moment, and it doesn't go the way he planned. Verse 11. "And And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Zechariah was troubled when he saw him. Fear fell upon him, but the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready the Lord, a people prepared. So an angel appears. Again, we're, we're not, angels are never really described except in these weird visions from Ezekiel, Daniel, and Revelation. Okay, so we don't know what the what the angel looks like but the angel always says fear not don't be afraid this should be another sign to us that this is not a cute little angelic flying baby okay right every time angels show up they're like all right calm down like that's like angel school 101 we got to first you've got to start with telling them to calm down and not be afraid okay so we're not, the angel's not described, but there is this weird detail about exactly where he's standing. Okay, he's at the right hand of the altar of incense. Um, the right hand is the place of honor. So this this incense in the temple represented the prayers of the people going up to God, but also God's presence being constantly with the people. Okay, and so it, it's kind of the representation in the temple of the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire from the from the old tabernacle days. Okay? And then the right hand, that's the place of honor. And we're told that Jesus is seated at where? The right hand of the Father. So from this place of God's presence shows up this messenger and says, do not be afraid. Your prayers have been answered. Elizabeth will bear you a son. You'll call him John, which means God is gracious. Okay, so part, part of the, even the naming of John is God is being gracious to you and finally answering your prayer. There's a call for, for John to be someone to rejoice, that he is to be, live a clean life. And, and, and this, this comes out of the Old Testament. There's, there's actually in the Old Testament a number of miraculous pregnancies um, where people who had not been able to have children suddenly can. One is Hannah in 1 Samuel 1. Um, she, uh, she makes a vow that if God will give her a child, this child, she will raise this child the right way. He will not have strong drink. And uh, that child becomes Samuel. And then even more interesting, uh, in Judges 13, an unnamed barren wife of a man named Zorah is visited by an angel, told that she's going to have a son, that he would live a clean life, and that he should never cut his hair. What's his name? Samson. Okay, so it's very similar language to both Samson and, I mean, Zechariah knows this. Zechariah is thinking of these stories. But then there's also this other Old Testament connection to Elijah. Elijah is very interesting because Elijah in the Old Testament never died. Okay, in the story, he is taken up to heaven uh, um, in a chariot, Okay, chariot of fire. And so the, the idea was, well, before Messiah comes, Elijah might have to come back. Or maybe if it's not actually Elijah, it'll be someone in the spirit and power of Elijah. So the, the prophets talk a lot about this forerunner that's like Elijah, or maybe even is Elijah, some people argued. So here's all that description that the angel gives them. And Zechariah said to the angel, verse 18, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. A couple of things here. First of all, he says, how shall I know this? In other words, prove it. <laughs> prove it. Give, give me a sign or something, because I don't know. Now listen, if, if an angel ever comes to you, if an angel ever comes to you, that's probably sign enough, everybody, <laughs> Right? So, but he can't believe it. And then, this is one of my favorite lines in the whole Bible. For I am old, and my wife is advanced in years. <laughs> right? She's like, I, I can call myself old, but I'm not going to call my wife old just in case she can hear right now or gets back to her. You know, I am old, and my wife advanced in years. Okay? <laughs> the wisdom of... So, there's this There's a lack of wisdom of Zechariah in talking back to an angel. There's a real wisdom that has come from a life of living with Elizabeth. <laughs> Okay, the angel's like, prove it. And the angel answered him, verse 19, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. So the angel, the messenger, looks at Zechariah and says, okay, you want a sign? Here's sign number one. Dude, I'm Gabriel. <laughs> he's like, I'm Gabriel. I am Gabriel. From the Old Testament, in the book of Daniel, we see this character, this angel, Daniel, uh, uh, is, uh, Gabriel, chapters eight and nine. It's, it's, it's Gabriel that comes to Daniel and describes these weird visions that he's been having. Okay? And he says, I'm that one. I am that one. Like Here's sign number one. I'm here. Gabriel literally means man of God or strength of God. And outside the Bible, Gabriel is shown to be an archangel who stands in God's presence, praising God and interceding on behalf of humans. Okay, so actually there's this interesting connection then, if you understand that about Gabriel, that he would be kind of in that incense, right? (laughs) Because that incense is representing what he actually is described as doing. So Gabriel first claims his identity, and then he says, okay, Zechariah, sign number two. You're not going to be able to speak. You're going to, be able, you're going to be mute until this all takes place. Okay? Now, clearly some of this is punishment. Clearly some of this is, okay, because you didn't believe, you're going to be silent. But I wonder also if it's not as much punishment as we might realize. Okay? For one thing, if you go back and you read the account of Gabriel and Daniel... You find something interesting that when Daniel gets done, or when Gabriel gets done describing to Daniel what has happened, Daniel can't speak. And it's not because Daniel's being punished. Daniel just is so overwhelmed by this message and by everything that's being said that, that Daniel says, he actually can't say anything, and then an angel comes and touches his lips, and then he can speak, and he said, what can I say in the face of all that God has said to me? So, I wonder if in part this is a blessing. Like, you know what? You know what you need to do, Daniel? You need to just be quiet for a little while and let this sink in. I've actually noticed this. Have you ever noticed? I I think there's a correlation between people who talk a lot and people who doubt a lot. Now, I think a lot of times people who doubt a lot are also people who talk a lot. Okay, not always, but I think there's some correlation there. Sometimes when God speaks to you, you just need to keep your mouth shut and take it in a little bit. Verse 21, and the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay at the temple. When he came out, he was unable to speak. They realized that he had had a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them, but he remained mute. When his time of service has ended, he went home. Okay, so now you can see all this info about What's happening with this whole moment in the temple is important. Zechariah comes out and what's he supposed to do? He's supposed to stand in front of the whole people and say, the Lord bless you and keep you make his face shine upon you be gracious to you. But he's mute. (laughs) Like nothing happens. Not only does nothing happen, but also like, remember this happens like every day. So the people generally know about how long it takes. So when it's taking a long time and then he finally comes out and then he's mute and he's like, like Mary, he doesn't know sign language. Okay. So when it says he's signing, it's like, you know, angel, you know, it's there next to the, like, he can't. What's he doing? And, they, and then it says he finishes his time. That means he finishes the week. Okay, remember I said he, they're there for a week? So he finishes his week. We don't know what day of the week it was. So maybe for five days he's just mute walking around a temple and then he finally goes home and everybody if there's a scene in the whole Bible I wish I could actually get a description of it is Zechariah trying to explain to his wife in sign language right that she's gonna get pregnant and have a baby because an angel told me when I was next to the incense altar Like, can you even imagine this you could say he could write but I doubt that Elizabeth could read so this is all signing then we finally get to see Elizabeth's reaction After these days, his wife conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach. So I want to say this clearly, that Elizabeth doesn't have a virgin birth. Okay, This is Zechariah's son. But it is still a miraculous birth in that she was barren. And now, even though she's not supposed to be able to do this anymore, she can have a child. And, uh, and there's this interesting moment here where this had to have been hard for her. She describes the reproach she had among people. Like, she'd heard the whispers. She's heard, she'd heard people that didn't want to be around her in the market. I mean, she, she knew. But isn't it interesting that her response wasn't to flaunt it. Okay, for five months, it says she kept herself hidden. Listen, if it were me, I mean, there'd be a lot of questions if it were me. But it were me. And I was finally pregnant after a life of being barren. Right. I'm putting on a tight, tight outfit and I am going and I am flaunting this baby. Okay, Hey, you all made fun of me for years and years and years and bingo. There it is. (laughs) No, but listen, she doesn't do that, does she? What does she say? She actually hides herself because what she understands in this moment is doesn't matter what all those people think. What matters is God answered my prayer. God didn't just answer my prayer. Now God is working through me to something much bigger. Now we need to fast forward the story a little bit. Okay, because in Luke's gospel, now he turns to Mary, and Gabriel comes to this virgin in the Galilee region named Mary, who is uh, and and tells her that she's going to have a child, which is an even more miraculous birth, but yet she has a faithful response to it, And what's the sign to her? Not that she's going to be mute. The sign is she's got a relative named Elizabeth who's pregnant. And up until that point, we didn't know any kind of connection, if you're reading it the first time, between Mary and Elizabeth. But now we know, hey, Elizabeth is pregnant. Mary goes to see Elizabeth. And as soon as Mary speaks, when she sees Elizabeth down in Jerusalem, the the baby in Elizabeth's womb starts to turn. Because what did the angel say? The angel said that he was going to be filled from the spirit from the spirit from the womb and so John recognizes Mary's voice after Mary returns to Galilee Elizabeth has her child once they name the child John and everything comes true Zechariah can then speak and then he prays in uh, he prays a blessing remember he couldn't pray the blessing coming out of the temple Right? He couldn't say the Aaron blessing, but now he says a blessing we call the Benedictus. And I want to actually read it. It's at the end of Luke. Luke chapter 1, verses 67 and following. And his father, Zechariah, after John was born, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he had spoken by mouth by his holy prophets from old, that he should be saved, that we should be saved from our enemies, and from the hand of all that hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the land hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child will be called the prophet of the Most High. And you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. I don't have time to unpack all this, but there's such great Old Testament imagery here. And here's what's happened the nine months of silence have done what they needed to do. Because now Zechariah, who couldn't pronounce that blessing, pronounces this amazing blessing that understands where his child fits in all the story of Israel and understands that his child is the forerunner for the Messiah who is to come. He's able to make this giant proclamation that he couldn't have made nine months ago. But in his silence now, after dwelling on what this angel has said, he understands the importance of what God is doing in his child. So what can we learn from this story, particularly as we think of the angels of Christmas? Well, number one, I always find it interesting that Zachariah goes into the temple in the holy place. Like if you were going to see an angel, it's probably like a place I would have maybe expect to see one. Um, maybe have God speak to me in some way. But it's always amazing to me how surprised characters are when they, see the, when they see angels, when they hear God's voice. Maybe we should be a little more expectant that God wants to speak to us. Number two, don't talk back to angels. <laughs> if an angel comes and tells you to do something, you, you just say okay. Now, and I say that in all seriousness because a lot of us would say, I've I've heard people say this, boy, if God would just tell me exactly what he wants me to do, I would do it. But Zechariah and a whole lot of other characters in the Bible would suggest it's not necessarily true. (laughs) Okay, that there's still, it's still sometimes hard to in faith believe the promises of God in your own life. It's just hard sometimes. So, so, but, but when God does say it to you, accept it sometimes also when God gives you a message it's times to be quiet sometimes talking can get in the way sometimes talking leads to doubts you can talk yourself out of something or talk yourself into something in faith sometimes you gotta just be quiet be quiet so let us use Zechariah as our example for Advent let us approach Advent this year through the eyes of Zechariah he sees an angel hears the message, and begins to start to understand the coming Messiah. Let that be our journey as Christmas is coming. Amen.